Alleluia, Alleluia, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Alleluia, 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 Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Alleluia. A reading from the Gospel of John from the sixth chapter. Then the Jews began to complain about Jesus because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not complain amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the father who sent me, and I will raise that person up on the last day. As it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Gospel of the Lord. On this last Sunday of our worship series called The Seasons of Creation, the people who chose our Bible readings decided to go big. After calling our attention to earth, earthy things like oceans and creatures and storms, we now have the entire cosmos to consider as we hear these readings from the Old and the New Testaments, readings about wisdom, about God present and us present in all of this. The first reading from Proverbs took us from the fountains of the deep, wisdom says, to the highest heavens. And our second reading from Colossians drew us into the mystery of all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. But then, surprisingly, we are given a very down-to-earth gospel reading with these. Along with all of that cosmic language in Proverbs, and in Colossians, we hear Jesus speaking about himself as the bread that has come down from heaven to earth in the form of his own flesh and blood. It's a lot to consider, and for a preacher, it's hard to know where to start in all of this. In my case, the starting point is my own earliest memories of what it was like to gaze into the cosmos as a little child. 
And the first experience of that that comes to mind for me is the view I had out the front windshield of the 1957 Chevrolet station wagon that carried my family back and forth to school on the island of Madagascar. My assigned seat was in the front between my mother and my father. To the right of my brother, by the window, of course, was my brother, Lee. In the back seat, my four sisters sat shoulder to shoulder. And throughout the three-day journey, there was laughter, singing, bickering, storytelling, and all the things that a family experiences together when they are confined to a small space for hours on end. But then, when the sun set and the sky became dark, I remember that the car became very quiet, especially as siblings nodded off to sleep. And that is when I noticed the universe around us. My parents gave me a little red suitcase to sit on so that I was high enough to peer out over the dashboard. And I still remember what it was like to see the seemingly endless hills and plains dissolve into pitch blackness that seemed to have no limits. But then what is seared into my memory for all time is the view I had when I looked up into the wealth of stars that are seen in the southern hemisphere. With no artificial light for hundreds of miles, the night sky was brilliant, and it mesmerized me as I drifted in and out of sleep. Looking back, I would say that moments like that capture the heart of what I hear these scripture readings saying to us today. On the one hand, there was an awareness of the vast universe that was bigger and broader than anything I could imagine. And on the other hand, there was the intimate contact with a mother and a father on either side of me. And the breath of eight people mingled with the night air and the love that bound us together on all of our journeys. I had that same feeling when we reached our destination on the southern tip of Madagascar. A few miles from the school, there was a small group of cottages that housed American Luther missionaries when they came together for conferences. It was on a peninsula surrounded by the vast waters of the Indian Ocean. And our cottage was on the edge of a cliff facing south, which meant there was nothing but water between us and the distant ice fields of Antarctica. During the day, this was impressive, but it was especially memorable at night when the stars came out. The sea and the land and the sky all seemed to merge into one. And it was at night also that Milt Larson would have us lie down in the grass and look up at the night sky with him. Milt was the science teacher at the American school, and he loved to point out stars and galaxies and constellations to anyone who had eyes to see and ears to hear. Everything he said, of course, for me as a little child was way over my head, and that made it all seem even more mysterious and more wonderful. 
And from my memory of those moments, I would say that they too capture the essence of what these scripture readings hold for us today. There was endless sea and sky, but there was also the human touch of other people lying beside me in the cool grass and the voice of a man who had not only fallen in love with God, but with all of God's creation in heaven and on earth. In the language of the Malagasy people, the word for earth itself seemed to hold all of this together. For them, earth is izautuntulizau, which means literally, this, all this. Like the indigenous people of the Pacific Northwest, and like the author of Colossians, the Malagasy saw creation as the sum of all things, visible and invisible. This, all this, could there be a better way of saying it? As I grew older and took science classes from very bright teachers, I learned, as you did, that the cosmos is infinitely bigger than those stars that I saw out the windshield of our car or from the grassy cliffs on the southern tip of an island. Supremely powerful telescopes have opened our eyes to previously unimaginable realities and to mysteries that make highly educated adults feel like little preschoolers at best. If the cosmos made people feel small in the past, our growing awareness of it today is enough to make all of us feel infinitesimal. But there is something else that modern science is teaching us. As we discover more and more about the ever-expanding nature of creation, we're also learning how intimately connected we are to this, all this. As British scientist and theologian Arthur Peacock explains, every atom of iron in our blood would not be there had it not been produced in some galactic explosion billions of years ago and eventually condensed to form the iron in the crust of the earth from which we have emerged. Quite literally, human beings are made of stardust. An author named Elizabeth Johnson celebrates and elaborates on this when she says, out of the stardust, the earth, out of the matter of the earth, life, out of the life and death of single cell creatures, an advancing tide, fish, amphibians, insects, flowers, birds, reptiles, and mammals, among whom emerged human beings. In other words, we are in the cosmos, and the cosmos is in us. In all truth, we are as intimately connected to creation as we are to our own loving families. And that, I think, is where the possibility for transformation exists. Much of what we do today to destroy creation by polluting the earth's waters, stripping her forests bare, tearing holes in the land and in the sky, and even terminating the existence of other species, 
are actions that could only be done by people who feel somehow disconnected from the physical world around us. But what happens to us when we see how intimately connected we are to everything that exists? What happens when we see creation as our own flesh and blood? Almost 800 years ago, Francis of Assisi shared his radical view that the sun and the wind and the air are our brothers and that the moon and the water and the earth are our sisters. With prophetic vision beyond that of most people who have ever walked this earth, he saw other creatures as beloved siblings and he lived with them in a relationship of love and affection that shaped how he spoke and how he acted every day of his adult life. When you think about it, relationships of love and affection are the most powerful agents of change in every one of our lives. When we fall into them, that's when we make sacrifices. We go out of our way to defend and to protect the well-being of our beloved. We do what Jesus did when he said, I am the living bread, and the bread that I give for the life of the cosmos is my flesh. When I gazed at the stars of the southern hemisphere as a child, the brightest constellation of all was one that is hidden from us in the north. Its name, crux, or cross in Latin. And it is named that because of its shape. But as it stands out in the sky, you can see it all hours of the night because it is what's called circumpolar. It's always above the horizon. As a child, I admired it for its beauty. But now I see it as the sign of that infinite love of God that reconciles all things in heaven and on earth. And I see it as the promise of a new creation where God's dream of cosmic harmony and peace is at last the one great song that we all sing together.